welcome to the Onyx Pathcast. In this, the year of our Lord, 2024, my name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined, as ever, by my co-hosts, Eddie Webb. Hello. And Danielle Lozon. Um, hi, I guess? Hello, and of course, Danielle is joined by her lovely dogs. I don't uh, know if you can hear them squeaking in the background. <laughs> I can't, but I am always glad for the company. It makes it feel like we're performing before a live studio audience of dogs. It does. Yes. Yeah. It's true. I'm always performing for my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> that is the relationship we have with our dogs, is that we're there to entertain them primarily. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, And as I lack dogs, I just entertain myself. <laughs> you have a child? Yeah, yeah, but... Uh, Which is not as know. good as a dog, I understand, but... No, he, he, he can entertain himself now. So seven, <laughs> oh. seven years old, he can look after the place, change a fuse, that sort of thing. Anyway, anyway, uh, so this is still the Onyx Path holiday, Onyx Path cast, I should say, holiday mailbag, uh, part deux, because we didn't get through all of the questions and answers last time. Who's to say if we're going to manage it this time? Uh, but we will give it a damn good college try. I, I, so I say we're going to get through it this time. Though, this. You say, okay. Who, so in answer to the question, who's to say, the answer is Eddie Webb. Excellent. Yes. First question yeah. answered. <laughs> so, already on, already on yeah. uh, so let's dive straight in uh, with a question from Awkward GM Corbin. If you, that's you, were allowed to make a new game line with StoryPath Ultra, what setting or theme would you want to explore that hasn't been explored yet by Onyx Path? Uh, I'm going to position this in Danielle's eye line right now. Danielle. Hi. Um, it's a weird question for me to answer because I'm already doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll answer it like that. Um, I would love to see like a really high fantasy, high, uh, more traditional fantasy game done with Story Path Ultra. Mm -hmm. um, I'm making that game uh, already. So that's kind of... Um, Interesting. I mean, we have not explored it before I started doing it with At the Gates. So, um, yeah, it is uh, it is an adventure all on its own, but it is definitely, you know, you're playing heroes who are fighting big bad monsters, saving the world. Um, it is one of those games that it does not explore the traditional fantasy tropes in like, you know, the fantasy species or races or whatever you want to call them uh, being wildly different and having some morphic difference that translates to a cultural difference, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, there are people who look different morphically, uh, but they all live in the same cultural spaces. Um, so they they their culture is defined by the place that they grew up in, uh, much like our real world. But other than that, uh, lots of magic and cool uh, combat stuff. It's kind of my send up to fourth edition. So there's a lot of uh, fourth edition D and D. In case you know, <laughs> not, not, not call of not call of Cthulhu. Not the digital right, 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 or or Lord of the Rings, right? Like Shadowrun, <laughs> Shadowrun, yeah, yeah Shadowrun. Yeah. That's everyone's favorite edition of Shadowrun. I'm given to understand. <laughs> that is not um, true at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah. So that is uh, 
that's the thing I would explore. And how about how about you, Eddie? So I guess I have a question about the question. Um, Is it which game or setting or theme that Ultra has not done in On This Path? Because there's a lot of those. Well, I don't know, Eddie, because you're reading the same question I am. A new (laughs) game line in StoryPath Ultra. What setting or theme would you want to explore that we have never explored? The problem is there's not many we haven't. We, we, I, mean, I mean, you don't... haven't, you, we haven't explored Homestuck. Well, okay, fair. I mean, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you would want to make that game. Uh, we haven't done any of your wacky ideas from our uh, five-minute design jam. Oh, a room full of Santas. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, but can you watch an Ultra? Let's talk a little more about the LARP anything. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It was just the well, only one I can remember. Uh, Santa well, murder. That's what. That's what I want to do. I want to do an entire game about Santa murder. You want to murder Father Christmas? My uh, my choice would be to go purely historical because I'm a boring kind of an old fart, and I love reading about history. And as Eddie knows full well, because sometimes I will bend his ear to this effect. And uh, I have spent a lot of time recently reading about the Wars of the Roses. Uh, mm. the, there is a very well-known board game, especially in Britain at any rate, uh, called Kingmaker, not the same as the Pathfinder Adventure Path, uh, which is all about Wars of the Roses throughout the 15th century and, of course, went on to influence A Song of Ice and Fire in a great way. I would like to see how well Story Path Ultra bends to handle that kind of mundanity. Obviously, there is still action, there's still diplomacy, the courtly intrigue, and so on. And, of course, most role-playing games, or a great majority of role-playing games, tend to have special abilities, they tend to have magical powers, they tend to have something that sets you above the norm. I want to know how well Story Path Ultra works purely through the uh, mundane but historical lens. And so, while I can't see myself ever making it, this would be a passion project, I doubt it would sell. Uh, I yeah. would I would love to have the opportunity to explore it one day, uh, maybe when I'm unemployed and, and restless. You know, it's honestly, now that you, now that you say that, I could see Ultra being a really good fit for something like a Pendragon-style game, especially yeah. with its bond system. Well, that, um, that's the thing. It, it, uh, it would be very Pendragon-like, and as mm-hmm. people probably already know, the world below has its Pendragon influences too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a more historical Pendragon version uh, called Paladin, which is oh. more or less the same game, but it's uh, set around the reign of Charlemagne, or Charlemagne, if you like, and the formation of France. Uh, so that that kind of exists, but again, it still has some of the mystical qualities, albeit fewer than than Pendragon does. But anyway, let let's jump straight ahead because we've got lots of questions. Uh, awkward GM Corbin strikes again. Uh, because now, and I'll answer this one very quickly, uh, does Rich, as in Rich Thomas, I assume, run or play in story path games? If so, what's it like with him as a player or story guide? I don't think Rich has ran a story path game for anyone. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, We should make th- him. Uh, yeah. He has played and they came from, I know, because I ran it. Yep. 
And yeah. I don't know if I can recall him playing in Scion or Trinity. He has played in Scion. He played a... Uh... Wait, uh, yes, he played in Scion. I don't remember what he played. I know he also played in Exalted because he played a bear Exalt. Yes, he played a, a lunar bear um, in Exalted Essence Stream. Mm-hmm. Ah, but that's not a story path game. No, no he it's also, not. He also, did, he also did play in a uh, Scion game. I don't remember what he played in that, though, but he did play in a Scion Stream. A lot. It may have been Masks and Mythos, so I'm not 100% sure on that. I, I would love that to play funny. in more of Rich's games because he ran a Crossroads Continent, a short campaign for yeah. Eddie, Dixie, Travis, and I. And uh, that was a lot of fun, and I enjoy Rich's GMing style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would uh, yeah, like to explore that a little more. And Rich is always very fun to have as a player as well. He isn't... Uh, I'm sure he will listen to this because he tends to listen to these episodes. And I'm not just saying this to blow smoke, but he is a non-disruptive and generally agreeable player, which sounds like the most bare of compliments. But when you play with as many people as I do, <laughs> I, I promise that is a good one. No, uh, Rich is really good at two things, which is one, he's, he's consistently entertaining as a player, which is always a positive. Mm. And also, um, he is very quick to bend to what it takes to get the group moving. Yeah. Um, uh, he is not one who will put the brakes on a game because this is what his character wants to do. Um, and so those are both very, very great qualities in a player, I have found. Mm. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I agree. Uh, so now casting this one out to you first, Eddie, what is your favorite game mechanic you've not yet seen in an Onyx Path game? Uh, this is from Troy. This is going to sound really mundane, uh, but a roll-under mechanic. Um, it's something I've been looking at lately is uh, games where you have to roll under a number as opposed to rolling equal or exceeding a number. Yeah. Um, uh, because... I'm finding more and more that while it is mildly counterintuitive from a game perspective, because you want you know, bigger numbers better, uh, at the same time, um, that kind of pressure luck of getting as close to that number without going over kind of vibe uh, mm-hmm. is an interesting different kind of stress. I, I've got an answer about running a game that uses the roll under mechanic recently, and it's like it's people going, oh, I, I almost got there. And it's like even though you know that the the bigger number doesn't mean anything, it still feels like it matters. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of getting a number close to a target but not exactly hitting it is a different engagement. Uh, and so I'm, I'm finding that particularly fascinating, interesting, just from a pure design perspective. And, but the way we make our games, uh, both Onyx 20 and StoryPath, um, they're always kind of going to be target number or higher, well, uh, especially in, in the StoryPath games because all of them are eight or higher target numbers um so i think it's just kind of the aesthetic of onyx path and that's fine there, there's nothing wrong with either aesthetic it's just it's an interesting game mechanic that we haven't done yet and what about you danielle i know this is kind of weird but um really uh like moves in pbta and i know that like a pbta is kind of like comes up a lot in conversations or whatever um so the thing that I like about moves in PBTA is the the way that they're structured of when you're doing X narrative thing, you roll. Uh, and I really like that structure. And we haven't ever done that where it's like, you know, when... So everything is like, when you want 
to do a thing, you're going to roll with your skill plus attribute, right? Yeah. We, we do say those things, but the way that moves are prescribed are you do everything narratively. The fiction's always first. And then when you're doing a very specific thing, you roll and then there's pretty much results written right into that move of what you get out of it. And almost all of them are like, you know, you get a information or you get some kind of advantage over your enemy or you, you know, you, you get some kind of narrative thing in response to it also. Um, and I really like the structure of when you're doing X thing, get Y result after rolling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we, I mean, and that's a very specific structure. Uh, I just really like it a lot. And it's not something we've ever really done. Although, honestly, in Storypath Ultra, uh, there's a little bit of a mimic of it with the way we structure complications. Yeah, and also, not to spoil too much, but the way magic differs in At the Gates as compared to the world mm -hmm. below. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm not not going to go into great detail on that because we've not released anything uh, solid yet. But but right. there are there's a little more of that in Out the Gates than there is in the world below. Yeah, because uh, I like. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, and for me, it's uh, and I love the fact that Eddie thinks his is mundane and Danielle thinks hers is weird. I think mine is sort of utterly bland, but at the same time, these are things that we find enjoyable and inspiring. So clearly they're none of those things. Uh, is uh, luck in games mm. like Call of Cthulhu. It's a such a simple mechanic. We arguably have it with momentum. Uh, but there is something I have always enjoyed and anyone who listens to this who plays in any of my call of cthulhu games because i'm now running a few of them for my patreons is very aware of the delight i i express when i can say to a player that they have ran out of luck because i think yeah. it's just such a lovely descriptive sentence that reflects exactly what is on their sheet that they have spent all their luck just to survive to this point and now they've run out of luck and that basically yeah. means doom for your character now you're just deciding on the way they fail and you can do that with momentum though momentum is of course a group uh, trait rather than a, an individual's uh, but yeah, I find it, if anything, it's a more evocative mechanic for a game like Call of Cthulhu than Sanity, for me. Uh, the idea of luck running down. Yeah, uh, I like and, that. Uh, I, I honestly, that, that, that tapes into something else though I personally like, which is um, when game mechanics and in-game discussion can overlap. To, for me, that yes. humanity is the point. Yeah, how yeah. They, talk about, they can talk about the humanity in their character sheet and except for using the number of dots can more or less use that as a, I, I feel like I'm my humanity slipping away mm. um, or, or, you know, I, I feel much more humane than I used to. Um, and you could say those things and they make sense in the worlds. They don't sound like game mechanics in the world, but yet they do accurately reflect game mechanics. I love that synergy if, whenever you could pull it off. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting thing when you look at those World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness games of things like Blood Pool and Willpower Mm -hmm. uh, how they are incredibly more meaningful the lower they are. Mm -hmm. If you have six or above in either of those traits, 
at that point, you feel like you can basically do anything. Uh, if you have anywhere between one and four, at that point, you're starting to think more carefully about your actions. And so that feeds into how hunger was developed for v5 and the idea that you know it never goes over a certain value and while there are some people who love hunger and some people who loathe it because it was a significant change uh between editions of vampire i think mood wise it evokes more of that thing i love about luck in call of cthulhu so anyway anyway uh rafe asks uh and this will be another quick one i think my play groups have struggled to avoid ai generated images when providing art for the setting what is onyx path doing to ensure its art is genuine and is there anything play testers can do to help well that is a really good question because ai art uh, among other content other media is seems to be increasingly prevalent though that said there seems to be increasing awareness with it mm-hmm. uh, and i know mike cheney our in-house art director is very diligent when looking for these things but we had an example not long ago where someone a developer just wasn't sure whether we had some ai generated art in an upcoming book and and queried it and Mike reviewed it and said, nope, but basically thanks for checking. Uh, I've made sure it isn't. Because you can run tests, but you can also check for certain telltale signs mm-hmm. uh, in the art. And artists especially tend to be very good at recognizing them. Uh, in terms of what you can do to help, well, Likewise, if you're playtesting our material, if you're looking at our books, if you're ever unsure, we've got plenty of email addresses on theonyxpath.com. Just send us an email, politely describe the piece of art you're concerned about, and the worst we can do is look at it, say, nope, that's not AI, file it away. Uh, And we may even come back and say thank you very much, but we also get a lot of emails. So point being... If you spot something, the best way to help is let us know. And try not to cause a a riot about it unless you know. Uh, or try not to cause a riot about it full stop. But if well, you... That, 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 that's, that's a big piece of it because, like, mm. um, it's, it's one thing to privately say, hey, I think this is AI, could you investigate it? Or, or just so you're aware. Um, but if you start just, like, uh, uh, ranting about it on social media or Discord or whatever. Um, our artists do also pay attention to our presence, yeah. and they, if they didn't use AI, that you just don't like the look of it, and have decided that it might be AI, that could get them technically to hurt feelings. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it is definitely best to, like Matthew said, email us privately and be like, hey, I, I saw this image like on the blog or whatever. Um, I have concerns it might be AI. I just want to bring it to your attention. That is this far better than just lol look at this piece of crap it must be ai which is sad not happened in our spaces but it has happened in other spaces I've seen. yeah okay tristan asks uh daniel uh what are your favorite storyteller tools like relationship maps damnation city districts etc so i really like uh city building uh session zero and i think uh, the only place I've seen it, well, the, not the only place, but the first place I saw it was in the Dresden Files uh, game, 
yeah. where mm-hmm. you um, name locations in the city and people at locations in the city and troubles in the city together as a group. Mm-hmm. And then the storyteller could use that as a tool to build stories based on what people came up with together as a group. And I really like just kind of having a piece of paper that is maybe, you know, just a block map of the city that helps a story guide or storyteller visualize kind of what region of a city their players are acting in, who they might be kind of in the territory of, who they might run across, what kind of troubles they may find there. So you can kind of visualize what parts of where you're, you're going and what your players are doing is affecting other parts of the city. I really like the concept that just because you are acting as a player doesn't mean that there aren't things happening in the background. Yeah. And while nothing major or important should happen in the background without players having some ability to go and investigate or involve themselves in it, having minor things happening in the background, especially because the players have specifically said, these are the minor things we want going on in the background really makes a game feel very alive and dynamic. And so I like having a visualization of that to say, oh, well, you've been messing around in, you know, this group's territory. So they moved out of that group's territory into this other group's territory. And now there's a little gang war going on. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Eddie? Um, for me, it, it's uh, life paths and similar mechanics. Um, where you either uh, randomly roll or pick from a chart of options and you flesh out your character in that way. It's something that uh, if people have seen the or backed the realms of Pugmire Kickstarter, see that I'm moving in that direction for Pugmire as well. Um, but similar to, like Danielle said, is like it, it, as on a character level, it, it really helps to kind of help build a character out it presents questions that maybe you don't normally think of, uh, but also um, partially because uh, my wife in particular, she sometimes struggles with with character concepts. Uh, once she has a few pieces down a character concept for her, but she, she gets decision paralysis. Um, and so saying just roll on this chart really helps her uh, when making characters. And I've seen it with lots of other people too, is the, I don't really know what their favorite color is. Can I just pick off a chart or something um and so that constraint of choice i find more and more leads to better creativity because some people think okay i don't want any of these cool great but now you know what you don't want and you're still starting to think of what you do want whereas before you had no idea uh so yeah i find that 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 those kind of life pathy or or or, uh um, template uh flow options are, are something i'm really becoming a bigger bigger fan of uh, for me, it's uh, something really simple. It was mentioned to me. I was running Scion last night, and someone said, "What? How do you end up with so many interesting NPCs in your game?" And this isn't a hollow brag. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I fill my games full of NPCs. So that is basically the world I create. Uh, almost, uh, and I'm by no means criticizing Danielle's. Uh, way or or preference for designing the world i kind of design the people uh and that's the sort of lens through which i view most games and someone said how do you do it and i said well 
quite simply, you all have to come up with three contacts at the beginning of character creation. Mm. And I will often focus those first couple of sessions on your character's interactions with your contacts or how they interact with you, the, the demands yeah. they put on you and the demands they you put on them. And because they all have a place in the world their biker gang or the bar they run or the library they have access to or whatever the case might be then starts feeding into the plot uh so as a storyteller tool or story guide tool in this case i think um something as simple as the players coming up with three unique contacts for their character sheet gives me a world of ideas especially if i've got a group of four or more people you know immediately i've now got to come up with 12 12 individuals who have uh, stories to tell and they don't all have to be utterly heavy uh, world shattering stories they just have to be things that are meaningful to your player character so this person wants to hang out with you for a drink for the first time in an age because you've not called them or this person is in trouble with their biker gang and needs you to look after them, needs to hide out at your place for a while, that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, if you give me a list of character names, I will come up with uh, lengthy plots. Uh, so Graham Gents, or Gents, uh, says, what are two things you'd buy at a grocery store to get weird looks? Eddie, uh, you should order online. I don't want people to look at me. It's kind of to avoid this whole problem. But this is how that you want to get weird looks. Apparently, you're some kind of exhibitionist in this scenario. I, I, I'm gonna say toilet paper and mayonnaise. Oh, okay, all right. Danielle, what would you go for in this scenario? Uh, a vibrator and chocolate pudding. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll go. I'll go for the cucumber and KY jelly. I, I think. <laughs> Uh, can you buy a vibrator at a grocery store? <laughs> I I saw vibrators at my grocery store literally this weekend. Okay. You, know, you, can, you can buy a shotgun at Walmart. But then again, this we are talking about America. You probably can buy a shotgun in more places than you can buy a vibrator. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Now, I, my local HEB, if any of you are local to Texas, they sell vibrators. Oh. All right. Well, hurrah for the 21st century. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, anyway, Graham then goes on to ask us, who is your favourite historical despot? Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, Dan- Danielle, uh, I'm assuming that's not a monkey noise. <laughs> yeah, it is an uh, eagerness to answer. Uh, Maximilian Robespierre. <laughs> Damn it! That was one of the <laughs> that's why I wanted to say it first. <laughs> really? Are they going to be fighting over the French Revolution now? Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, there is. Uh, Okay, so uh, explain your choice. Um, he was uh, the the best. Like, here I am, hoisted on my own petard. Very much so. It's, like the very best, like example of that. Eddie, you can have Napoleon. Well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna go for um, Mao Zedong. Oh, okay. Uh, because I love the fact that. Uh, he's like, we're going to encourage free speech to avoid the mistakes of Stalinism. And then, wait, that's too much free speech. <laughs> uh-huh. I didn't uh-huh. say against me. I'm yeah. I, I can't <laughs> wait for the re-edited version of this episode where Eddie's saying he loves Mao Zedong, full stop. Right, it's just, yeah, that, that's, uh, it. that's just it. 
because <laughs> yes, he was a champion of free speech. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I mean, Robespierre uh, was the best leftist. Yes. <laughs> oh, for, for a microsecond, it, it it passed through his mind as quickly as the guillotine passed through his neck. Exactly. Uh, so, do I have a favorite historical despot? I mean, I love reading about Stalin. I don't think I'd get on with him very well. <laughs> I don't think um, I'd get on with any historical no, despot. No, no. I think that's the that's the central issue. Uh, I'm a big fan of. <laughs> that's a bad way to start. Uh, I'm. I find Stalin's psychosis, and this isn't to say that he had a mental illness or anything like that. I doubt that he did in any kind of diagnosable fashion but the the mental um twists and turns that he took to get him to where he was where he where he ended up the number of people he had to betray and or at least identify as not true communists and so forth mm -hmm. uh, i think is stunning I, there are he famously killed more communists than Hitler. And mm -hmm. that's quite something. Um, that's so, that's uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, of course, but I think as a character study, as a study of someone in, uh, interesting, there are very few people who handle power in quite the same way as Stalin. And I think Mao is probably one of the one of a very small collection who you could put next to him in that regard yeah um so let's get back on to gaming luna lorcan uh lorcan uh, i should say asks what makes a good gameplay loop for a game now eddie i know you have uh, a good experience with this because i read the comments on your pugmire actual play with red moon role-playing Mm -hmm. uh, who and people have remarked on uh, on this being a good gameplay loop. So tell us all about it. Um, I I'm glad you didn't know that people were that cool with it. So that's very exciting to hear. Um, uh, but uh, in that case, that's more of a, a literal loop where um it was a is a time loop uh setting uh, a scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I structured that extremely loosely, but and basically the the trick behind that was. Um, I had three or four moments that I could loop back to that I kind of seeded in, so that way I could pick whichever one's dramatically appropriate and then flash back to that one, any of those. Um, so as long as I could do a time loop at some point and, and end on it, I don't have to play through the ramifications of that. That was the great way of doing that, but this is very much a closed loop. Um, from a actual gameplay loop standpoint, um, I have found actually, Pokemon is a, a, a decent example of this too. Um, it, it's good to have a nice core mechanic uh, that it, it's that is fast to uh, play through, but also has a lot of variations, so it doesn't get stale. Yeah, um, and Starpath Ultra I think is great for this too because like just about every role in the game works exactly the same way, but what you're rolling for and why you're rolling for it can vary much wildly okay and uh, and to keep things moving i'm not ignoring you danielle because i dislike you but i realize we still have a lot of questions to go uh despite our intent to uh, to get through them the young pyro so many 
I have so many opinions on gameplay uh, loops, though. Well, one, one day I'll we do. All I'll do a single person retrospective on uh, gameplay loops. You know what? Sure. I would. For I would podcast. love. I would love that, and yeah. not just because it gets me out of recording for a week. The young pyromancer <laughs> asks, "What's that one character concept you've always wanted to play but would never work?" Yeah, this is, I think this is a really good, a good. Uh, question but what did you say eddie wolverine wolverine i mean it, it, it I'm, I'm being glib but also serious and the loner that doesn't quite fit with the team but always mysteriously falls in the team uh mm. it, it's a it's a fun concept to read but does it really work with a group yeah it's terrible Damn it, it's a whole archetype and they came from the crepe and velvet lined coffin well yes but that's a pair game we're right? absolutely making yes <laughs> Uh, so you're going for Wolverine. What about you, Danielle? Um, so I, I have tried over and over again to make a character. I feel like it's like chasing the sun, uh, where I had a character one time in a, a noblest game who was like a, a, the god or the a god shard of chaos. Yeah. Um, and it worked really well. And I have tried to recreate that con character concept in other spaces. Um, but it turns out that chaos isn't actually a great thing to to be like modeled yeah. in in game <laughs> mechanics. No. It, in a in a like I am manipulating it slash creating it slash destroying it slash like wielding it to my benefit kind of way and it it is made like every time i try to make this like ah yes i'm going to make a chaos mage i can't ever it never works the way i want it to mm. okay uh for me uh, my hope and i still think it could possibly work if the stars align uh, and Baldur's Gate 3 has kind of lit a fire under me in this regard. Uh, way back when I first got into the Forgotten Realms uh, in like the 90s, I was a big... I loved the idea of the Dead 3, the Bane, Baal, and Merkel triad of, of mortals that became gods, this sort of evil trio of, of adventurers in the Forgotten Realms that Ed Greenwood mm -hmm. came up with. And I wanted, I've always wanted to explore the possibility of playing a campaign, maybe even just a short campaign, where the players, three decent players, take on the roles of those three hopefully with Ed running and yeah. uh, taking us through a scenario where we can be evil and we get to do evil things without necessarily being edgy with it. And I would just love to play one of them uh, and maybe get it recorded. I don't know. I feel like it would be a lot of fun. Um, but so, yeah, so I, I often gravitate toward deathly morbid necromancer types and so I'd probably play Merkel in such a scenario and it's probably why I was always drawn to Cappadocians and, and to a lesser extent Giovanni <laughs> um, but much for the same reasons as uh, chaotic characters often struggle and brooding loners often struggle uh, morbid antisocial necromancers often struggle <laughs> yeah Right. Uh, they, they tend to be considerably less concerned with temporal matters. Um, but I, I do still love trying to play them. 
Marcel asks, is it true that you all race to get as drunk as possible during your Monday meetings, and by the end of the meeting you all test to see who is the most drunk, and whoever is wins a pony? And is it also true that Matt McElroy now owns 956 ponies? Well, first of all, that's a spurious claim, because I don't think there have been 956 Monday meetings. <laughs> and I don't think Matt drinks. No. Uh, I, I have no. a feeling he doesn't. But no. uh, otherwise, absolutely accurate. Uh, <laughs> um, next up, the Dumb Dumpster 9000. I, really? I, I mean, I, really? I like this. I like the contrast, uh, and I think this was what was intentional. It's an incredibly bland question <laughs> uh, paired with an outrageous name. Yes, um, I love it. So, Dumb Dumpster 9000, let's call them. That is him, isn't it? Um, <laughs> asks, what's your favorite clan? Eddie. Bruh. Danielle. Did you just say bruh? Bruha. Yes, Clan Although, bro. Uh, bro, bro, bro. Yeah, I, I think I could see some Bruha calling it Clan Bro. You get embraced, bruh. and immediately you grow a red tracksuit. <laughs> That's the twenty-first century Bruha, right there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pronounce this in multiple ways: Zemisi, Shamase, Shmisi. Yeah. Uh, but which clan? Zemisi. <laughs> um, for me, I will be glib and say Grumble Duke. Grumble um, Duke. <laughs> um, though I think, uh, in truth, it's Cappadocian, been true, right? Oh, uh, really? Cappadocian were always were always yeah, up there for me, or Setites, one or one of the two. I was, uh, which I is why I'm a very bad a, role player. Uh, I always pegged you as a Ventru man. I can naturally play Ventru very easily uh, because it doesn't require much roleplay. <laughs> uh, the ghost of Cormac McCarthy asks, apparently. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. He even refers to himself in the third person in this question, yeah. apparently. The ghost of Cormac McCarthy says, the Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian has famously been described as unfilmable. How would you turn it into an RPG, Danielle? I don't even know what that is, so I wouldn't. Eddie? Uh, I would use Haunted West, because apparently it's a Western. Yeah, it is. It is a horrible, horrible Western with a lot of very terrible things. Apocalyptic imagery, as Cormac McCarthy is fond of, uh, and lots of terrible body horror, and, and sex-related horror, too. Uh, I uh -oh. I think Haunted West or Cults, Divinity Lost are the games you'd probably want to use for it. Deadlands is a bit too camp. Yeah. Um, but I, you would need a very specific group to uh, to turn Blood Meridian into an RPG. I mean, I mean, I, Haunted West is a, is a fantastic game, um, and I recommend it for lots of people. But there's also much better subject material you can use for Haunted West game. It's just if yeah. you're going on a Western that's remotely authentic and accurate. Um, I mean, uh, to defer to Onyx Path games, they came from beyond the grave and just camp up uh, Blood Meridian. Uh, if if you're prepared to True. play Blood Meridian at the table, let's make a nonsense of it. Um, it's a good good novel, don't get me wrong, but it's um, also uh, uh, 
but disgusting. Kit says, in a vampire apocalypse, not a zombie one, and I appreciate the specification, where do you go to hide, build up your defences, and wait for the sun to rise? Well, that sounds like it's only a night. You've got to survive a night during a vampire apocalypse. So it's not really an apocalypse, is it? Uh, unless, so we're, unless it's 30 days of night kind of scenario. Have you, have you seen the show Van Helsing? No. I'm not seeing the show Van Helsing. No. I, think, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's called Van Helsing. I saw the yeah, movie right, with right. Hugh Jackman. No, no, no. There, there's, uh, it's about uh, his daughter or granddaughter. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's about a, a woman, uh, Vanessa Helsing. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, there is a vampire apocalypse and they create a vampire apocalypse by uh, setting off enough like industrial issues that there's just kind of this forever fog that the vampires mm -hmm. can kind of go out during the day a little bit and then yeah. of course always come out at night and just like in a zombie apocalypse people hunker down in buildings uh they they break like doors and and prevent things from getting inside and uh those who are not in the zones that the vampires have overtaken and forced them to to live as menial servants uh, live in little outposts uh, where they have stakes and guns and try to kill anybody who is a vampire that comes their way. So you'd find an outpost. Yeah. You said stakes and guns, and in my head, I, I combined those in my head. Steak guns. I that would be amazing. I was, I was imagining a restaurant in Texas called Steaks and Guns. <laughs> I mean, there's probably a Steaks and Guns restaurant. Probably. Probably. <laughs> uh, how about you, Eddie? Where do you hide? Build this is up one of the few times where I regret moving to the UK. Uh, because um, it would be harder. It's like just finding a big space, a building in the middle of nowhere that you could fortify. It's a little harder to do here. Mm. Um, uh, but finding like uh, a good uh, like there's some uh, armory museums i know around that that would be a great place to hold up like lots of like uh, swords and uh, armor and other sharp things to kind of really help deal with all that yeah um i guess i'm gonna go for a church because i'm very boring and vampires don't tend to like churches i'll find a decent sized one one that still draws a lot of parishioners maybe we'll go to canterbury cathedral that sounds like a decent idea sure uh, uh but in terms of building up your defenses as eddie says this isn't exactly an armed nation we'd arm ourselves with knives and traffic cones maybe <laughs> um someone without uh now that'll stop them let's put a, some roadworks in the way um, when, when, <laughs> an, an anonymous individual says, when will you start working directly at you, Danielle? When mm. will you start working on the Infernal's Exalted book? Hmm? The end of the year. There you go. And this one is more of an emphatic statement where I suggest a sarcastic question mark at the end for you, Eddie. There will be an aberrant book about space exploration. Uh, to which I can only say is no. Um, okay, well, that was easy. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're, we're doing a lot of aberrant books, and some of them are going to touch on space exploration. But honestly, uh, the Trinity Player's Guide is going to cover that better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a nice little chunk in there about space exploration. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, there will also, and it's not Trinity, admittedly, it's not Aberrant, but Aberrant, I think, because it has that super heroic element to it, has a few touchstones with Scion. And yeah. one of our upcoming Scion books is going to go a little into space exploration. So uh, wait, wait for that. Scions As... in space. Yes, not Scions. Scions are a different game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when we can expect news, the person who has posted these are uh, all credits. You thank you so much for posting all these questions. But I really appreciate from you that we have a when will you question, a there will be question, and a when we can question. <laughs> uh, it's designed, I think, to throw me off. When yes, we yeah. can expect news about a new Trinity Continuum setting book, Eddie. So the glib answer is also the the real answer, which is when we're ready. Um, the, the impetus behind that is that um, we just released Anima, um, mm. and we still have Aether and Aegis to put out. Mm. Uh, so um, there was a point where every year we were putting out a Trinity book, frankly, um, and that's great. That That's exciting. Uh, but also now we're taking more time to kind of go back and, and do support for the games that are coming out and also the games that are already out. So like, for example, doing more aberrant books. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Daniel helped put together the amazing uh, Trinity Players Guide. Mm -hmm. um, we're doing more VTT stuff for Trinity. So uh, rather than continually just announcing more and more and more and more Trinity books, um, uh, we're taking the throttle off a little bit and trying to uh, uh, get the... I mean, I want to see Aether and Aegis out in the world. They're both fantastic games. Um, but let's get those out there and get them some time to sell and people to excite, enjoy them before we necessarily start moving on to the next, the next, the next, the next, the next. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's a part of RPG development that I'm not sure is given enough uh, recognition, the fact that you can't just keep putting out new games. You do need to strengthen your existing ones and promote yep. your existing ones. Mm -hmm. And that does mean sometimes returning to the well, uh, essentially. Um, that can be divisive among fans because fans are always excited for the next thing. There will be some people who desperately want the next book for their favorite game line. There will be other people who want the next big core book. And so it's, as Eddie says, uh, and it's the same with They Came From. We've done a different They Came From pretty much every year. And at some point we need to reflect <laughs> and and uh, and start deve either developing the existing game lines or calculating over time which ones are doing better, which ones demand more support, that sort of thing. Yep. Uh, so, Danielle, uh, there's mm -hmm. a couple of Exalted questions you can choose not to answer, uh, but uh, give it a go. For Exalted, how do law backgrounds work? How are they different from specialties? Or specialities, as we would say, on this side of the Atlantic? I, I don't... I don't no why i just i don't know what lore backgrounds are no that Am was I... easy post it in the exalted discord on the yeah. Onyx Path discord and i have no doubt someone will uh will come in to answer because there's a lot of very dedicated fans and creators in the official exalted space on our onyx path discord I, i'm i'm struggling to to parse that question so 
yeah, I don't. Case, we will hop on to the next one, which is entirely specific. Uh, <laughs> for It's from the same person, I think, who has remained anonymous. Page 84 of the core book mentions the lover clad in the raiment of Tyr's handmaidens, but we don't hear anything about them in Abyssals. Are these the Loveless, her Abyssals, some other cool being that we'll learn about in a future supplement? Boy, I hope someone got fired for that blunder. Uh, no one's getting fired for that blunder. Um... I've... I added that bit at the end for the sake of listeners. Yeah, I. Why are you trying to throw me off, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> keep you on your anyway, toes. Yeah, keep me on my somethings. Uh, <laughs> I... Oh my god, I can't answer this because I don't actually know. But I think that they are the the loveless. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure, and so I'm just kind of taking a stab at the dark there. Uh, but, you know, a better place to ask that question would maybe be in the Abyssal's channel in the Discord. Uh, and by Abyssal's channel, I mean Exalted. Uh, I think there's a special Abyssal's channel. Yeah, like yeah. Abyssal's Exalted. There is. Uh, ask it there. Uh, one of the devs will probably answer because they like to poke around. Yeah, of course, it could be something that is deliberately mysterious. Uh, to go yes. back to, you know, my, uh, as people know, I rooted around in vampire lore for a very long time, and it's quite intentional that you never really find out what happened to the Ventru Antediluvian. Uh, and doesn't matter how many places you ask, if it's not printed, it's not going to be p uh, responded to in a comment on a forum. Uh, so. It's because I ate him. Yes, it was Danielle. Danielle Diablerized the Ventru Antediluvian. There you go. I you see. heard it here first. It's coming now. That's our last action for Vampire the Masquerade as a company. Fire <laughs> that cannon. Yeah, you can you can handle it now, Renegade. Uh, so, uh, so Zach rules uh, says, and this is a wonderful wonderful question to finish off this podcast. What was your favorite 2023 TTRPG moment? And if you like, you can split this between moment with Onyx Path and moment in terms of role-playing with your group, with your friends, what have you. Mm, okay. What about you, Eddie? So my favorite Onyx Path moment uh, was, and this is going to sound really weird, um, was Wizards of the Coast making some fucked up decisions in January of last year. <laughs> uh, this is your favorite but, Onyx Path moment? <laughs> yes, because um, for, for those of you who don't remember or are blissfully unaware, bless you, um, what happened was uh, there was a leak about the open game license in January 2023, which happens pretty much during, like right immediately before uh, the Pogmire Kickstarter was going to launch. Two weeks before. Yeah. Um, so and, uh, uh, I freaked the hell out, frankly. Um, but the reason why it's my favorite Onyx Path moment is because, uh, when I brought this up in the Monday meeting and I was like, what are we going to do? Um, pretty much everyone was like, well, obviously we're going to go ahead and we're just going to make this awesome. At no point did anyone have any doubts that like, there was even the question of, well, maybe we don't sell Pugmire, or maybe this isn't strong enough, or whatnot. Not a single person. I was the one that was like, maybe we need to not sell it. And everyone else had completely had my back. 
and at, at, at a moment that I was very nervous because I was in the middle of international move on top of all of this. I had to rewrite the entire manuscript on very short notice, message what was going on through the community. There was a lot of stuff that I was very stressed out about. And Rich and all y'all, everyone, 100% had my back. And that still meant the world to me. And I really appreciated that uh, because I did not have any confidence in myself during that time. Uh, a non-omics path uh, moment uh, has honestly just been uh, meeting new friends through gaming because uh, you know I'm in a new country now, so I'm trying to make new friends, and gaming is a natural way to do that. Um, and so uh, I ran for some new to me folks uh, at uh, Onyx Path Con, um, which is another great Onyx Path moment actually. Um, and we have since stayed in touch uh, uh, from some of the, the European players from that team. And so we've had a couple of side games since then off the books, if you will, from Onyx Path. Um, and uh, so I've been slowly getting into more games that are new to me with people that are new to me. Uh, and that's been really, really exciting. Wonderful. And how about you, Danielle? Ooh, um, man, first of all, I got to remember what happened in 2023. It was a long year. When you were exactly what happened. (laughs) I know. You you were just like, oh, yeah, the, the, that thing happened. And I was like, that was this year. That felt like so long ago. (laughs) So I think that one of the things that I really think was a a great thing on Onyx Path moment was releasing exalted essence we have been working on it for a while it was you know we did the crowdfunder for it and getting it out in front of readers the backers releasing it on drive through rpg getting it print on demand all of that this year was a really first of all just <clears throat> You know, it was one of the first projects that I took took over for getting over the finish line as the Exalted developer. I worked on it. Uh, so getting people playing with the combat engine that I helped design was really cool. Uh, so just just getting that out in front of people was like kind of my favorite. Like, I love this is happening. And my favorite gaming moment... Man, there's so many good gaming moments that I probably should not pick <laughs> because I would be picking them for Schadenfreude. Uh, oh, you know, if you if you G- GM, you have to live for those moments. I think. You know, honestly, it's a personal moment for me. Um, I started two new games. Uh, first tabletop games that I have played in person in a really long time, mm. uh, almost five years. Everything I had played up until this point recently had been either one-shots or online campaigns. So we finally got together with a group of friends and got some campaigns started that lasted for more than three sessions. And I'm... Like, even though the games themselves are just, you know, one of them's Werewolf the Apocalypse, which I love. So, you know, that's great. And mm. the other one is a hack of Dungeon World, which is, you know, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's a game. But I get to play with my friends, which is the most important thing. Yeah. 
Uh, for me, uh, the world below. I think. I mean, it's mm, yeah. RPG anthology was huge because of the sheer number of genres that came out of it. The the mm -hmm, fan mm -hmm. polls were great fun, right. even though people cheated, uh, <laughs> and that's why Dawkins Creek didn't win. Uh, and, and I will die on that hill. Uh, but yeah, there was cheating. There was definitely cheating, but I don't think that's the reason Dawkins Creek failed. <laughs> I think it was going <laughs> to fail anyway. I think the world below must rank up there because it is always a thrill to get a brand new game out in front of people and to see such a positive response. I mention it a lot, but it's always a massive risk, not just to me, but you know, to Onyx Path. You just don't know how a game is going to land if it has no pre-existing audience, if it's not just the new edition of a previous game, that kind of thing. And you don't know how those are going to land either. But I was incredibly humbled by how well The World Below did. But more than that, even more than how it succeeded, it was just gratifying to to finish it. And... Yeah. and be able to celebrate the wonderful work the the co-authors of that book had uh, had committed to paper so yes the world below has to be there for me uh, uh, it, i i, I want to jump in real quick um hmm. uh because i actually thought one of you were going to mention it and surprise so i want to add one more thing is uh announcing story path ultra i think it was a oh, yeah. big yeah. moment um because you mentioned the world below um that was kind of the first really strong look at story path ultra but that's something that uh the three of us have been working on behind the scenes for about a year year and a half um and so getting that out, similar to what you're saying getting that out into the world uh to see what people think of that and uh, generally have been a very positive reaction to ultra has been really really exciting too yeah it's it the, the funny thing is you can like i held on to the world below for a while before the crowdfunding campaign just as we have all done with story path ultra especially mm -hmm. you eddie and the the you can you can still feel incredibly proud of something and yet also feel a massive weight lift when you oh, yeah. move it on it doesn't have to be a thank god that's over with sometimes it's you're free now fly right. <laughs> find your audience and you can just feel proud um in terms of non onyx path i not to echo the two of you too strongly my in-person games i still play games every single week with my local group or groups sometimes, and we finished a very long Eclipse Phase campaign that had been running pretty much since the end of lockdown uh, that oh, I'd wow. been running. So a couple of years, and that I'd been running more or less weekly for for two years or so, and I was very, very happy with how that resolved. Um, and on from that, one of my eight or nine, nine, I think, Patreon groups uh, for whom I run games, I was running Vampire the Requiem. This was just a short scene at the end of, I think, the most recent session we played, maybe in in December or November 2023, where they had a succession-like meeting with their family patriarch. Because it's just one player character meeting up with their mortal family. Of course, the mortal family doesn't know they're a vampire. And they found out that their family patriarch, or sort of casino manager set in Vegas, is dying. And he basically said to all of his children, you know, I called you all here today because I have 
at most three months left to live. I found this out a year ago, but frankly, I didn't. I, I didn't see the need to tell any of you, you know, cue lots of shocked faces and then lots of clamoring for where you are in the will. And he's clearly a family patriarch that dislikes his children. The children don't like each other. And it was just a lovely, it was just a wonderful piece of role playing from the player. It gave me the opportunity to have some lovely vicious lines from the horrible members of this family and it concluded with the family patriarch standing up at the table, dinner was over, saying, uh, I don't expect any of you to come to my funeral because, quite frankly, I wouldn't attend any of yours. And, wow. And was, this just, was this just Knives Out, the, the RPG version? <laughs> Seriously. Yes, but with vampires. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it was just such a wonderful, vicious piece of roleplay that was immensely fun. And I love that. It, it's the part of World of Darkness and Chronicles of Darkness, that sort of family interplay that I adore. And so getting to do that without any of the baggage of working on Vampire right now um, was, again... Quite cathartic in a way. It reminded me of what I like about those games. Uh, but anyway, anyway, we have run to an hour. We have got through all of our questions. So I'm going to wrap things up by saying, Danielle, if people wanted to find you online and ask you further questions about Exalted Minutia, where would they go? Uh, you can find me on the Onyx Path Discord. And you can also find me sometimes, very rarely, in the Exalted Fan Discord, but that's super rare. Um, and I only tell lies there right now. Also, uh, you can find me online at daniellozon.com. Excellent. And what about you, Eddie? Uh, you can find me on uh, Blue Sky and Mastodon uh, as Pugsteady. That's also my website, pugsteady.com. Uh, but most likely you'll find me on uh, the Onyx Path Discord. Uh, also probably telling lies. And me as well. And you can find me on MatthewDawkins.com too. But the Onyx Path Discord is the best place to find me to talk about Onyx Path games. Thank you very much for listening. I hope everyone's looking forward to an exciting 2024. We've got a lot of fun things to announce and come out later this year. So keep your eyes open. Watch the blog. We still update every single week. And with that said, many worlds. <laughs>